0: Hey, and welcome to Life with Friends. I'm Kim, and thank you so much for joining us. And we have a treat tonight. We're going to tape at night, usually tape during the day. But we have Travis Mickle and we have a friend of mine, Leah Bressler, in the house tonight. And we're going we're gonna, to, Travis is here, and he has a, he's an executive director of a nonprofit here called Fronting Life. And it's, I'm going to let him talk about it, and I want you to hear his story, and I want to hear some facts behind it, too, but it's just so amazing that, one, that he's here, and two, he has really reaching into the community. So, Travis, when I, I want to know what brought you here first, like what, you know, I thought it was so interesting when you told me, I think everybody else is to want to hear this story.
1: Hi, everybody. My name's Travis Mickle. Um, I just want to thank you, Kim, for having me here tonight. Um, I'm excited to share with everybody uh, my experience, my journey, and what I'm trying to do. I uh, was born and raised in New Jersey. I moved to New York City when I was 21 years old, and I decided I was gonna work in fashion. I had the life that everybody kind of dreams about. I traveled around the world. I worked for um, a luxury fashion company named Prada for about eight years. My friends worked in movies and films and styling and fashion. Um, I was super engaged with that Insta-cool, Snapchat-fun, materialistic idea of what I was supposed to do. I wanted to live in a big city, I wanted to own nice things, I wanted to travel to beautiful places, and all of those things I did. But while I was doing all of those things, slowly but surely, um, my addiction was getting the better of me. I've had a problem with drugs and alcohol since I started using when I was 12, um, on and off. My life would go up and get down, but I was always able to get my, get myself out of wherever I was going. Um, so I lived in New York City and at the end I was fired from my job and I decided to use my savings and continue using and engaging with a different part of society and taking myself and creating behaviors and habits that turned me into the person, um, that hurt myself, that hurt my loved ones, that no longer had an appetite for life, that no longer thrived from compassion and kindness. Um, I thrived from judgment and resentment, gossip and hatred towards myself, my family, my friends and the world around me. Um, And slowly but surely, I started to lose everything. And after having the perfect life, Um, the one that everybody wants to, to live, the little, the, the little boy from a little town in New Jersey, living in New York city, making it in the fashion industry. And, um, all of that was taken away from me at the end of it. I didn't have my apartment. I didn't have my art. I didn't have my clothes. I didn't have my money. Um, I didn't have any more trips. All the pictures in the world couldn't have saved me from myself. Um, and I suffer from a disease that a lot of people do, and it's a disease of addiction. Um, I have a feelings disease. I don't like feeling things, or I want to feel too much of things, and I run away from or cling to the feeling that drugs and alcohol can bring to me, Um, and I got confused by that, and drugs and alcohol took everything away from me, and I ended up in an insane asylum and a psych ward. Uh, I was in a drug-induced psychosis. I had run out of money and places to stay and friends to live with. Um, I was temporarily homeless on the streets of New York City. And the only place I knew where to go was to go see family to tell them what was going on. And they told me, Trav, you gotta go get help, and I did and i checked into a facility for about 6 weeks where they had to shock my brain back um so that i would stop hallucinating um i was seeing different people's faces on different people i was super paranoid and um i'd lost my touch with reality and my parents had retired to wilmington north carolina and i had nowhere else to go and i hadn't really spoken in to, to my parents we had we had kind of went separate ways for a few years. We had differences of opinions and ideas on the world and things like that, but my addiction pushed them so far away that I just didn't want them or anybody else in my life. And I asked them if I could come stay with them and, and that's how I got to Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, and when I moved down here, it was a big adjustment for me, but it was the greatest gift I ever got was having everything I ever owned or knew taken away from me because I had no other option but to look at myself and my choices and figure out what kind of life I wanted to live. And I decide today that I want to live a life of recovery. Um, I engage with many, many different recovery programs in our area, um, whether it's a 12-step program like NA and AA or Dharma Recovery, which is a Buddhist-based recovery, Um, I've done classes in smart recovery. Um, I fell in love with meditation and energy healing when I got down here. There's something very special about this area. There's a spiritual understanding and energy that's here, especially considering it's such a transient population. Um, But there are a lot of people here who also suffer from addiction and who also are trying to figure out how to live a new life. Um, And over the past three years that I've been living here, I've taken different classes on meditation, um, frequency healing through what's called binaural beats. Um, There's also different types of sound healing uh, with sound baths, which use Crystal quartz or Tibetan singing bowls to change the frequency of your body. Um, I engage with mindfulness meditations, um, transcendental meditations, a lot of different areas because I was searching for something because I didn't understand why I was never happy. I didn't understand why I was constantly trying to wa- run away from my feelings and emotions. Constantly clinging to things that I thought would make me happy. I I lived a life where I thought if I had everything and I checked all the boxes, beautiful apartment in Gramercy, um, I went on vacations around the world, I had lots of friends, I wore beautiful clothes, I had great friends, and I did all of those things and I checked all those boxes, but I always felt like something wasn't right that I didn't fit in, that I wasn't a part of, that I wasn't loved, that I wasn't taken care of. Um, And I've found through meditation and different types of practices that if I get out of my thinking mind, the mind that tells me that I'm not good enough, the mind that tells me I'm less than, the mind that wants to gossip and judge other people, the mind that wants to live in the past and fears the future, I'm never gonna heal myself. I'm never gonna get to be the person I'm supposed to be. And I engaged deeply with that. And I started a Dharma Recovery um, meeting in Wilmington, which had four or five of us in the beginning, and now we have 20 to 40 people showing up. Um, And then I also came up with the idea of creating a nonprofit for people in recovery. to give them the ability to go outside of the medical world, outside of their psychiatrists, outside of the 12-step programs, to engage with a stillness that comes from different types of meditation and energy healing. I focus on this stillness because I found that when I gain true stillness, I create greater wisdom for myself because I give myself the time necessary to process something, necessary to see the world in a different light. I used to instantaneously react to everything that was happening to me because I was completely obsessed with myself and thought that if somebody was doing something to me, it was because of me. But in the reality of the situation, I am not that important. I am just another human being trying to do the best they can. And I now see the world as a group of human beings all doing the best they can. Sometimes the best is not what I think, but that's not for me to decide. They have lived a life and people have lived a life that I can't explain, but I don't need to judge them and I don't need to gossip about them and I don't need to resent them and I don't need to tell them to change. I need to give them the ability to find silence and stillness to create balance and love and compassion and kindness in their lives. I realized how far away I was from that idea and the idea of fronting life came about to me. I, with a couple of my friends, decided I wanted to start meditation groups for people who were in recovery And I wanted to introduce different types of Dharma and different types of energy healing with Reiki practitioners and mindfulness meditations and expand and grow and expand and grow. Um, And fronting life is currently a place where anyone who's healing from any type of trauma or from any type of addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs, or is just looking for a safe community where they can find stillness and balance for an hour every week, that's what I provide. Um, And we provide to the community. We meet every Monday at 6 p.m. at 3403 Winston Boulevard. Um, We have a transformed sanctuary from a church. Um, We all get together and we're all there to engage with love and compassion and kindness to engage with frequencies, to engage with meditation, to disconnect from the material world and the socially acceptable world, to engage with something that I'd forgotten about a long time ago. And that's compassion and kindness towards myself and the world around me. And that includes the difficult people, the people who I don't understand, but I can still choose to love and show compassion for. Um, I I just want to create a world that has less suffering and more compassion for people. Because there's so many times that people in addiction and people who are recovering from trauma, they get pushed to the side because nobody sees them. They see their pain and they see their anger and they see their hurt and they assume that they're bad people. And it's not that they're bad people, they just don't know any better. And I want to introduce the idea of stillness and balance in their lives so that they can regain control and they can become the people they're meant to be, not the people we tell them they're going to be. And my mission is to create a community and hopefully create a recovery center where any type of trauma recovery, all the tools necessary, all the things that help us change and grow, are available to anybody who wants them. And it's a safe place for anybody to go to ask questions, whether it's for your friends and family, everybody I know knows somebody who suffers from addiction. I want to create a place where you can ask questions about that if you want to give them different options or figure out what it means. Um, Because I think educating people in our community with and without addiction, is really what's gonna tie the community together. Not saying we're better than, but trying to understand each other. Trying to get to common ground, not trying to prove who's right or wrong, but just trying to understand each other. Um, Because at the end of the day, we're all just trying to understand who we are. And it's easier to do when you come from a place of love and compassion, kindness and care. And don't get so wrapped up in what society tells us we need to have or who we're supposed to be. Get wrapped up in the ability to help somebody, to sit together in a room of people meditating. Because when you meditate with a group of people for 30 minutes to an hour, your frequency, your body, your personality, your thoughts all change. And the person you are when you leave that meditation is not the person you were when you entered. And that person is sent back out into the community, seeing their friends and family with a new energy and a new perspective and a new love. And it only lasts for a short amount of time. But every week you can come back and you can fill up your cup so that you can find more stillness and balance and love and wisdom in your life.
0: So, I have a couple questions. All right. Was
1: that too long? Sorry. No, I love it. I,
0: love, I, I don't even think that I need to be in the room with you. you just how you speak is so it's just it's 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 just flows so nicely. What so when you said you were 12, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people that probably in this community don't realize that a 12 year old you flipped a switch, you probably flipped the trigger. to addiction Mm -hmm. what and you may not know this I Mm -hmm. know you do know some percentages what percentage of 12 year olds are on that path and you know like what percentage of 12 year olds are going to flip that switch and land where you did
1: I think um, for me it's not about the percentage it's about not I wasn't able to express my feelings And I wasn't able to properly voice my opinion to my friends and family. And I felt like I had nowhere to turn. Not that my parents did anything wrong. Not that anybody did. Everybody was doing the best they could. But I wasn't understood. And I was never given the ability to voice that. And I found that drugs allowed me to get a momentary relief. From the feelings that I didn't understand.
0: So in Wilmington, let me, let me because let me let me let me not say percentages. Yeah. You were telling me some statistics yeah. that I didn't know about Wilmington. One was
1: eleven point nine percent of the population in Wilmington is addicted, to, is has an addiction problem right now.
0: And we are the highest. We
1: have the highest addiction percentage in the country.
0: Which is nobody wants that. Yeah, you know, there's a
1: task force they've put together for the opioid crisis in Wilmington, they just received a $2.5 million grant towards that.
0: Um, and how many so what I see about you that's different, and I don't know a lot about recovery. Mm -hmm. I have worked a long time ago with dual diagnosed folks, but basically, you treat them and you street them, so you're you know, you treat them, okay, you're out, you're on the street. Um, You don't have a lifestyle. You don't have an educational. You don't have the meditation. You don't have that integration back into society. That's where I'm looking at your website and I'm seeing a very different approach. You want to integrate in like the, what is it, the CS... Uh,
1: CNS social club
0: yeah tell me about that that's very interesting
1: yeah so we try to do uh, we'll do like bonfire meditations I did a couple last year um, right on, on Freeman Park really? on Carolina Beach so we would have 20 or 30 people mm-hmm. a lot of people in recovery are looking for something to do something outside of alcohol based right. bars and, and society has deemed it acceptable that drinking can be done anywhere all the time all it's what,
0: especially here you're yeah. in the resort area it's and a beach town yeah. and
1: i i understand that but i want to give people things that they can do outside of that so we would do meditations on the beach and then for an hour after we would all just hang out leah helped me set them up and we would bring the fi- we would drive onto the beach and we put the bonfire pit we would do a 20 or 30 That's minute cool. meditation while the sun's setting. And then we all got to engage with each other outside of a meeting, outside of a medical profession, outside of that, just to be one with nature, to engage with stillness and balance, and then to also connect with people we might not have ever met or been able to engage with, to bring a sense of community. We do things like We'll go, recently, we've been going rollerblading because scooters in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, there's no drinking there. So it's a really fun adult thing to do. Um, And we've been trying that out and people have really been liking it. Um, uh, We do hikes at Carolina Beach State Park. Uh, Just different things where we have time where you're out of, A lot of people live in recovery homes, transitional homes. Um, They're out of that environment, and they get to engage. With the CNS Social Club, I really want to engage with nature a lot as well. Um, I threw a a party last year to to basically a party fundraiser for Fronting Life. It was a non-alcohol-based dance party. We had a hundred and something people. And this is like a, like, just a... I mean, a,
0: that, that's out there. <laughs> you know, I love
1: it. Yeah. And I had my, uh, one of my friends who DJed from New York City come down yes. and I sold tickets to it and, and it helped get some of the funds necessary, but enga- let people engage with like getting dressed up, going out, doing something fun. Um, without, without having without. alcohol yeah. and, and that temptation around. And those are the ideas I want to expand on creating safe places for people who are new in recovery or people who have been in recovery where they don't have to worry about if a drink is going to get spilled on them. If they bring one of their friends and they might take a drink when they just started and they're on their recovery journey. Like to create a safe place where we can come together to meet new friends, build a bigger recovery network. The world doesn't allow people to create a recovery network. I'd ask everybody who's listening to this, how many of your friends do you know that don't drink regularly? And if you do, and they said, I want to meet more people who don't drink regularly, where would you send them?
0: Well, I'm going to send them to you <laughs> right now. But, I, you know, I'm saying that is a, that's a, that's a need.
1: That's, yeah. an, that's
0: an absolute need to have groups and, parties and bonfires and things that don't involve drinking, but I also think it's a really big need for kids, yeah. especially your middle school and your high school kids, where the, because the pressure is on so much. Everything revolves, even at that age, to be drinking and doing drugs, and then you're on that path. I thought something was really cool, too, what you said is it's important to see the person so if you can separate the person from the disease, that is how healing. Yeah. You know, it's not you know, why did they do this? It's maybe chemistry or psych- you know, psychology or something. Like so let's 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 focus on the person. Let's do the mindfulness. Yeah. Let's do the um The sound baths? Yeah, sound baths. Yeah, so Reiki. Reiki, acupuncture,
1: all of that is engaging with and really reinforcing to someone that they deserve to heal, that they can heal themselves. For so long, our society has deemed, you need to take a pill, you need to go on a maintenance, you need to do the treatment model. And the treatment model works really well when you want to get somebody off of something and then you want to throw them back into the world. But what do you do with all those people when they're back in the world? And that's where I want Fronting Life to come in. As we expand over the next couple years, I want to have a community garden where people can come learn how to grow food. I want to have cooking classes. So all of these people in recovery, especially who have had a very low bottom that have been in jails institutions all of that their life has been taken away from them they haven't learned a lot of the skills necessary they haven't become the person they're supposed to be and who's teaching them those things
0: well that's what i'm saying you treat them (laughs) and then you street them yeah the it's i think i was talking to leah the other it's a cycle like how do you expect someone to get better if you don't put those components in place to help them live a different life.
2: I think we have two competing medical systems in the world. You know, We have the Western philosophy, which is more of the philosophy that you isolate and find the issues. If you break your arm, they're going to find that spot. They're going to reset your arm and send you on your way, and then they never worry about anything else. And Then you've got the opposite model coming from the Eastern doctrine, where they look at the whole person and then treat things um, going from that perspective. Interestingly, I think there's a lot of validity in both approaches to medicine. Um, I, I think we need both. Uh, I think one one has helped drive the other, but the way we've grown in our country is, is to grow exclusively in that Western model where you pull apart. I was a person, um, who did go to rehab in my 40s. Uh, It surprised a lot of people in my life. Um, I don't know lots of people really well. The people that knew me really well knew I needed to go. The people that knew me from my community, from my job, from my children, from life, from the the persona I put on, had no clue and were shocked that I was in rehab. Um, So I think what I learned in that facility was... Um, Rehab does a great job of keeping you away from a substance for a month, and that's how the program's designed. So you come in, you, you get out, and, and they can keep you away from a substance uh, for a month, and they can give you a lot of programs that you can use to help yourself stay off of that substance if you're successful. Um, the problem that they have is that most people are not in a vacuum, and they're not coming in for substance abuse. Substance yeah. abuse is a symptom of trauma or a reaction to mental illness, or a problem of, of, of another nature um, mm-hmm. is at the bottom of it. Those things are what is not being addressed. And what I found unique and really special about Fronting Life was I, I live in Carolina Beach, which is a little island off the coast. This island is all about the party. We have fundraisers every night of the week. On every night. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> that's, that's why this girl stays home. Bottoms up, party. baby.
1: <laughs> okay, but
2: there really isn't much <laughs>
1: to During the do. day.
0: We're not even talking just the night. No, oh, yeah. yeah. Every day. It's like 24-hour cycle. You get up, it's breakfast, it's lunch, it's dinner. It's right. like, let's go drink. It's just yeah. part
2: of our community and and yeah. it's not a part of the community that's bad. It it, right. it it there are a lot of people that do it well. I'm not one of them. Yeah. Um but but some people can handle that in life. I just not me. Right. Um but for those of us that are trying to do things and have a life outside of alcohol, there really is not much going on. And fronting life made it fun to take a walk in the park. We, we laid down on a blanket with strangers and looked at the clouds. <laughs> I hadn't done that since I was in eighth grade, yeah, you know. Right. And what a fun, joyous, simple activity, free, you know. And it's just, I wouldn't have thought to do it on my own. I wouldn't have gone there by myself. I ended up meeting several nice people. Um, and you mm-hmm. find out that, that when you meet people and you're all in that same situation, you're all coming from a place of recovery. Right. We don't get around each other and talk about war stories or what's your drug or how did you end up here. That's not it. We're around each other talking about what your ideas are. What's tomorrow going to look like? How's the future going? What, what are these plans? And, and keeping it positive and interesting and focused on the future. And that's what I really like about Fronting Life is it's, it's not just bringing a mindfulness it's bringing a sense of community to a group yeah. of very underserved individuals. Um, most of the folks that come don't have health insurance. Those of us with health insurance, we can go get Reiki and therapy, and get, we right. do all this stuff. We have a hundred bucks. We can go spend it on the acupuncture. Right. When you're already in a in a low socioeconomic issue, and food is a scarcity in your life. The idea that you can go and meditate somewhere and pay somebody, that that's not going to get on the budget. That has to be so
0: foreign, though,
2: if you think that, about it. That's a first world problem, quite frankly. Yeah. And, and and I can't afford to meditate it would be a terrible thing for somebody to be in that position. But it's even worse in that that there's no education about what the meditation does for our, our populations in the greatest need. They don't understand that you don't always need medicine. You don't always need therapy. There are other natural things that can really help.
0: Well, I can tell you that I went on Monday and um, I had to get used to the sage. I wasn't sure, but it, went, but it was like pleasant after a minute. I'm like, I didn't know what it was, but I was in the room and it was an eclectic group, right? <laughs> I loved it though. Because, I mean, I'm looking around, there's a couple people that look like me, there's a lot of people that don't look like me, but there's, and everyone's just laying down. And then Travis starts the binaural beats Mm -hmm. after everything's been smudged, and then he starts the, is that? Crystal
1: Core Singing Bowls. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then, so my mind is going, it's, you gotta stop. You've got to let it go, you know you're laying here. You know, and I'm thinking about 5,000 things, but you said something. <laughs> it, remember I said, whatever yeah. you said, my brain attached to. And you just repeat, and I didn't hear anything else you said. No other word did I hear, but I heard that sentence. And I was able to like, okay. So I checked my watch, and I'm like, I'm at 78 beats per minute. I'm not breathing. How am I walking around not breathing. Like what am I? Like a fish out of water or something. But when you finished <laughs> my beats had gone down to fifty six. And I'm like, wow. If nothing else <laughs> for high blood pressure boom. But it took that one sentence. It's just that one sentence that I could I could just I could understand and it resonated with me but I can but the guy beside me you know he was so nervous. Yeah. I think he was snoring. Yeah. I think he ended up going to sleep.
1: So I write yeah. all of the I write all of the meditations for everybody and I've tested all of these meditations out with friends like before they go into groups and things like that. Yeah. Every individual what you what everybody has to understand about it, meditation is there's no right or wrong way to go about it and what meditation is actually used for is to retrain your focus we have been conditioned to focus and trust the thoughts that are in our mind the racing thoughts of i have to pay this bill i have to go to the bank i have to see my husband i have to go i have to go to this pta meeting i have to schedule this bring the kids here don't stop we don't realize that we could go days without stopping and thinking. We can go days without focusing on our breath. And what that does is it allows your ego and your thinking mind to take more and more and more control. And that specific part of your brain functions on a fight or flight and is constantly in some type of panic or chaos. So when you're in meditation... In the beginning, all you're doing is just shifting your focus away from your thoughts onto your breath, away from your thoughts onto your breath. From there, you expand into the words, I am safe, I am secure, I am stable, I am loved. And then slowly but surely, your nervous system down regulates, your heartbeat starts to calm down. You start sharing your energy with the people around you And your body starts changing actually on a chemical-like level and you have a sense of euphoria, you have a sense of stillness. All of those thoughts that were important to you, the schedules and the plans, the resentments, the, the fears, they kind of melt away all by just taking your focus away from your thoughts onto your breath and allowing frequency to come into your body. And then when you finish it, whether you do 10 minutes, we did 40 minutes, your body is different. You, you, you feel, everybody feels the change and what upset you before no longer usually matters to you. What was a big deal has now been left behind and you bring that stillness and that balance out into the world.
0: Well, and I came home and slept, <laughs> so it's really difficult for me to sleep I have a, 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 a I listen to the binaural beats and then I listen to I li, try listen to sound bowls whatever I try and but then I you know I don't watch TV I try not to stimulate myself like that I was exhausted I dragged myself into the house I'm like I'm going to bed and I slept the entire night
2: well, so. what's fascinating to me about all of this was when I go I was a person who had anxiety disorder and sleep trouble and um, complex PTSD and I had all the symptoms of it and this stuff worked I'd leave these meditations and I also am an ADD nightmare people that know me know that and when I talk it's I've got 20 subjects in my head and you better keep up because I'm not going to inform you when I'm jumping nope you're
0: rapid boom, <laughs> boom. Up those
2: windows, rapid fire <laughs> And so, if you're not
1: catching up you're left behind
2: yes. so I thought meditation no chance just no chance I'm not going to be able to do that I can't sit still and watch a commercial let alone that's meditate it. sit quietly and do what? no that's a waste of time I could be getting something else done. <laughs> right. Um then I, I went and I was kind of tricked to be honest with you not, not in a bad way in a good way but I showed up <laughs> to Dharma which is the Buddhist recovery version of um, AA and NA and they did Travis was there doing a guided meditation as part of the meeting, and it was a beautiful experience and it gave my mind a lot of calmness um I was so stunned at the severity of change from my mental outlook and how much calmness I felt inside that um i've been I've been doing the meditation now for a year, and I started doing more and more of it. Um, In the last, this past summer I picked up doing daily meditation and in July I did a lot of blood work. I had high blood pressure that was medication resistant since I was 19. Today I was taken off my blood pressure medicine because my blood pressure is 98 over 58. And they're telling me it's too low with the medication. This has got my doctors scratching their heads. and It was funny today to watch them both, one called another end. And they were asking me, "What kind of meditation is this? What are you doing?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to explain to him, and I, I, I let him know uh, because I went out. I need an answer. That's my personality. I, I, I need an answer, and it it can't just be because it works. That's not a good right. answer. I want, I want the picture of the broken arm. I want to see what. Why is this working? I want
0: one, two, three, four, and five. Yeah, yes. Spell it out
2: for me. And yes. There's a great book out of MIT, it's, um, it's his work, it's Dr. Nader, uh, who practices at MIT, and he's a neurobiologist. But he has a book called One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness. And that explained what's happened in Western medicine, explaining all this Eastern stuff about meditation. What they've done now are EEG studies of the brain. And so when you are in these meditations, And when you are doing different meditative or mindful activities, you're actually changing the neural structure of your cortexes. And so, when that gets proven on the EEGs, that's when I was like, hold the phone. Yeah. For 40 years, I've been doing medicines, self-medication, EMDR, cognitive behavior therapy. I, I hate talking to people. Hate it. Um, Especially about my problems. No, thank you. I I had an ego the size of Texas. I did not need to hear about my problems. I know about them Um, and I don't want to talk about them. Uh, What was beautiful was that this, it's like hitting a reset for your mind and your brain. We're amazing computers. That's what we are. We're just an amazing, amazing species. And our mind is a gift that will help us deal with accumulated stress high blood pressure and the problems that we face for not dealing with this simply through meditation and stillness. And and the proof is out there at all the universities. And I guess my question is, I can't think of a good reason other than there's a whole lot of money wrapped up in the system that we currently use. Because I'm now having to be taken off of my medications for anxiety and blood pressure because I sit quietly and find stillness each day.
0: And think about that, Travis. Your meditations, <laughs> think about that. And your sound healing may have the ability. I mean, I'm just going to say it. Do you think it can just like stop relapse?
2: I I think it will help recidivism for sure. And because what it's doing for me is you can't (laughs) stop that, of course. We can't make those claims. You can interrupt it. Yeah. I think people people will have a pause
1: before they choose that. Right. Because there's more balance in their life that they don't need to shut the feelings or run after them with the drugs and the alcohol. They'll choose to find the stillness again instead. And
2: the complex PTSD symptoms that I had, and I can only speak for me, arrested with daily meditation. And had I not gone mm-hmm. into to fronting life and met Travis and done this kind of mindful meditation, I wouldn't have been able to embark on that journey. I wouldn't have even known it really existed. And I have some education. I went to school. I've been a teacher. I've, I did brain injury law for a number of years. I, I, I've studied stuff. And I'm stunned that at 49 years old, After spending a lifetime of frustration, self-medication, your doctor medication, appointments, therapies, Mm. cognitive behavior, the lens, the the staring at EMDR, you name it, the ball in each hand. That all helped, but it didn't work. This worked. I sleep normally. I don't want to cover up feelings because my feelings are resolved.
0: Tell me again, because I don't think we've gone over. you might have told me, how did you guys meet? I don't <laughs> think I know that. Or if I did, I have, for, how did y'all cross paths?
1: When I first started fronting life, somebody I knew, Megan, brought Leah to one of them.
0: Okay.
1: And she really liked it, and we engaged, and she kept coming back, and we started hanging out, and like little by little, we became very good close friends. And, and I, I can say Leah is one, of, is one of my closest friends here. Like, I love her to death.
2: Um, the stillness, it healed my mind. For me. And, and yeah. I was raised on military bases by type A people that basically, if, if I'm sitting with my eyes closed, I'm being lazy. Right. That's just the truth of it. You know, if I'm not doing something, actively doing something, that's wrong. Uh, in in the way I was raised, we had vacations that were every second of the day filled with an activity. We didn't sit and stare at nature, and I think there's a lot of us like that. I raised my own kids, and yeah. Kim, I know you know my oldest son.
0: I'm a travel director. I was a travel director. <laughs> yeah, I'm like we're gonna go do this, this. I mean, we got in the we, you know, we were in the
2: woods a lot, but I didn't teach running. an appreciation of stillness to mm-hmm. my older children, and I am backpedaling now. But trying my best to get them to sit down long enough to listen to me.
0: But how would you teach it if you didn't experience know it? it. I, I don't know. The only time, the first time I experienced, because I'm a lot like you, high energy, all over the place. I don't sit down and draw drop. Was when my mother was dying. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. I think you'll like this, Travis. And my mother. <laughs> I mean, not the, my mother was dying. She had terrible pain, and um, this. Reiki practitioner in Catawba County came in. And Catawba County's like, uh, it's not your most forward. Is that in North Carolina? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry, I shouldn't know that. It's a, no, you wouldn't. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's at the base I'm of... I'm learning. Mountains. I love it here. I'm staying forever. It's a base of mountains. But um, she did... She put my... Nothing was touching my mother's pain. She did Reiki on my mom. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. This is the first time I've ever heard of Reiki. I said... And she was, oh, I... She goes, I need to work on you. And I'm like, why? She goes, There is so much anger coming from you. She goes, you were just radiating heat. I said, well, come on. You know, I'm ready. I didn't know what it was. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Anyway, she did Reiki on me, and I was able to sit, because my mother didn't tolerate noise. Yeah. So I had to learn to And I couldn't even flip a book. You know, you couldn't even flip a book or the page. She would hear it. I had to learn to be still and that was the first time in my life I had to get very comfortable being still and not saying a word, not even moving. It was very unnerving for a long time to sit that still. And I think that's when I learned about the nothing box, being able to think about nothing. And I'm like, I don't know how I can do that more often, but I really enjoy it. It was like a, a feeling of peace, and I think that's what that, that meditation did for me the other night. is just that that one sentence was mm-hmm. allowing me to open that healing mm-hmm. and that nothing box. So I'm thinking, I mean, man, you need to go to schools. <laughs> neo, neo, I'm here for it. Think about neonatal units. Prison. Prisons.
1: I work currently with different. um, I do meditation for the task and the reset. So I'll go in once a month, and people who are just released from jail, I do meditations with them. So I'm I'm working with some of those. I'm
0: thinking that juvenile justice Mm -hmm. and delinquency centers. I mean, like I catch them at least
2: when they're a little bit young. Yeah. You know, and and and. You think about the recovery community, it's not even just the addicts. It is Al-Anon, it is the children of the addicts. Yeah. It's the wives, it's the parents, it's the community. And that's what makes this particular social issue, I don't want to say unlike others, but, but the fentanyl that's come into this county, um, it's a tragedy. We're losing people left and right, and we're losing very young people very quickly. And I'm I'm older. I'm 49. I didn't know a lot of people that were doing that kind of stuff back in high school, but if they did or if I heard about it, those people died after miserable lives in their 40s of some kind of a right. liver disease. These children are dying right now because fentanyl is no joke, and it is not... Yeah. It, it's it's just killing people.
0: But here's that thing. Where's that 12-year-old that yeah. had that emptiness? Where do you go to feel it?
2: Well, that's what scares you know, like, me as a you parent. You... Yeah. Because the 12-year-old, even for my older son, is your older son's age, yeah. is 20-something? So when he was 12, it wasn't... I don't mean to sound silly, but... it. Fentanyl wasn't available mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. school. That wasn't a problem I was worried about right then. There were other problems, for sure. Right. Um, Girls. It scares me now to think <laughs> about a 12-year-old. Y- you can't just make a mistake. It's not one little thing. It'll kill him.
0: It'll kill them. And that's the thing. How no do ch- you...
2: There's no... Yeah, there's no second chance.
0: Here. How do you... Why are... And
2: then we're going to... we
0: have like five minutes. Um, not because I want to close it out. I'm not allowed to have past 40 40 and some minutes. Why are we not in schools every, like, minute of the day going, grabbing these kids, like the middle school kids who have nowhere to go and nothing to do to fall into these places? You know, the the kids that are, like, guarding them at Lytum, that where are their lives
2: going? Why of the county guardians at Lydum right now are drowning. They are drowning. We got to get your bowls everywhere. <laughs> we need bowls everywhere. I we need, need bowls. You, and yeah. that's what confuses me is that this is. I'm such here a to help anywhere in the community. Tool. Why isn't it everywhere? You know, that's where, where my 49 my year old parent of six people, my brain's coming into this going, How did it take me this long to find this? I've been struggling and looking and I couldn't find it. Because it
1: doesn't fit into a capitalistic society.
2: No, that's what it was. And it's and, not a material thing that you can... And not bumble into the right Reiki session. I mean, but Reiki's expensive. And Reiki I was just is had a recovery. expensive. recovery. is really expensive. And I was like, oh, free Reiki? <laughs> that's how I met Travis. <laughs> he made it happen. So. <laughs> well,
0: so what we need to do for Travis, and, you know... We need
2: to help him let other people get free Reiki.
0: Yeah, but we're gonna to have to raise some money. So we're so we're gonna have I'm to. I'm here for it. Yeah, I know, and I am gonna help you as much as I can. That's one thing I can do very, very, very well, is raise money. And so, if anyone's listening, and I'm gonna hope everybody shares this, I'm gonna really push it on people to share. We need money
1: <laughs> because
0: we're gonna pay for it one way or the other. We're gonna pay for it down the line in programming, or jails, or health crises, or drug clinics. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can do it before, let's fix that ship. Let's go upstream this time Mm -hmm. instead of always landing downstream. Um, I do hate to do this, but we are going to have to cut it. I'd like to do it again. Yeah. I would like to do a (laughs) second and third session about how we can grow Travis's program and Leah, how we can figure out some kind of meditation recovery center that goes with Travis because I think everyone...
2: The county needs a trauma center.
0: The, everyone, there's not a child that isn't going through something. No one has that perfect life. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. No one does. And we have too many kids that are dying. So whatever we can do to help Travis, I'm going to help you. <laughs> I appreciate
1: um, that very much. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions and you want to email me, you can email me at info at frontinglife.com um and you can also go onto the website frontinglife.com and send me a message through there. I'm always happy to answer any questions or if you'd like to get to know me better or you want to sign up for one of the classes you can do it through there as well.
0: And I'm going to put links. I figured out like I was telling Leah and Travis, you know this is new to me. I jumped into it and I'm learning as I go, but I found how to put links. Okay. So I'm going to put links and I'm and we just need to share it guys. So we get as much as I don't like Facebook. Facebook's a tool, we need to use it for good. So, let's send this out. Let's share it if you're interested. Let's get in touch with Travis if you want him to come to your school or to your exercise class or to your recovery center. Let's let's help let's help him do that. All right, guys. So we're getting ready to sign off. I want to do this. I want to have a couple more sessions
1: okay. if you are Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um Thank you for coming to Carolina Beach. Yeah, you're so welcome. I'm really interested in the bonfires. I'm, I guess I wasn't here, but the next bonfire, I want to be invited. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved every minute of this. I love your energy. And thank you so much, guys. And we will I'm gonna try and see if I can get them next week or the next week. Travis is very busy um, as all executive directors. <laughs> can drown.
1: Who also has a full-time job. It also has a full-time job. And, that, and that's
0: not that unusual yeah. in the nonprofit world.
2: No,
0: it's not. You know, it's, but uh, let's see what we can do to um, help them bring this dream to life.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right, thank you guys. Thank you, and yeah. I will um, sign it off and I will talk to y'all next week.
1: All right, goodbye.
0: Hey, and welcome to Life with Friends. I am Kim. And thank you so much for joining us today. I am pretty excited. It's been a while since um, we have taped, but I'm also very excited because I have a very good friend with me. She's also uh, has been a mentor to me and she's probably a world-class researcher. Her name's Erica. And we are going to just kick it off with a topic about fentanyl. And I'd kind of like to give you a little background because this is not going to be probably a light topic for us to be discussing. Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were walking, and as we walk, um, we typically don't exchange brownie recipes. Mm -hmm. We typically um, really talk about life's issues. And fentanyl, the opioid crisis, came up, and... I was surprised at the level of knowledge and research that Erica has done. and I wanted to invite her on here because I think there might be other people out there like me that maybe has lived under a rock I don't know um, that needs to hear this. So let me get started. Erica's here with us today with me today. And we're just gonna jump right in. You want to say hello, Erica? Yeah,
3: thanks <laughs> for having me here. <laughs> Exciting, and yeah, it is a heavy topic. Um, and sadly, I know too much about it. But but I what it it's all useful. It's all useful information, <laughs> especially for the upcoming generation.
0: Well, and I think, as always, we were pioneers. I really do. I think we see a problem and we find ways to look at it differently and we've been doing it for what 13 years now that's right (laughs) so uh, we've survived I think a lot together yes yes and we're still standing very true all right so you came up with some questions and they're very well thought out questions to kind of keep us both on track and I appreciate that because I can go off sure all right so fentanyl how when and where did this opioid crisis start?
3: Right. Well, first, let me say that this is the pandemic that nobody's talking about, or the pandemic that not enough people are talking about, and I am not sure why that is. Well, I have my suspicions, but I will stay out of the conspiracy realm. At, least, it, not, at least, at least this for time. For now, right, right? Exactly for now. Um but it's it's largely a two part problem. So back in the 90s, uh late, I think it's late 90s, um and this is kind of backed up by by the DEA and the CDC government. Um there was a family called the Sackler family, very very well-known philanthropists. I remember going down to well, I lived in D.C. and their name was everywhere on museums, um, sponsoring art installations, you name it. The Sacklers were all over the place. The The story is that um, there were three brothers and one of them was in one of them was a doctor. One of them was in advertising, marketing, and the other was a um, psychiatrist, I believed. Um, and so... These guys, or no, one of them was a pharmacist. That's what he was. And so they came up with a product called OxyContin. And the thing about it was, the nefarious part about it was, this brother who was in marketing said, basically, I have a great idea. We can, I know how we can get this in all of the doctor's offices. So he came up with marketing materials. And they went around selling this um, product that their company was Purdue Pharma. And they went around uh, to all the doctor's offices saying, hey, we have this great new drug uh, for pain. For anybody who is in pain, especially very serious pain. For like cancer uh, treatments, things things such as that. My mom, um, ha-
0: my mom took it.
3: Yeah, In oxycontin. States, yes. Oh yes, yes, yes so. absolutely. Um, they went around saying that it was safe, that it was safe, it was non-addictive, it was the wonder drug, and they had all of the great marketing materials to back that up, right on hand, so they could hand out pamphlets with the pills. And so they essentially tricked a bunch of doctors into believing that this stuff was non-addictive, and then. It turns out it's incredibly addictive. In fact, um close to heroin in that you use it a couple of times or say you're on it for pain for a very short five-day, seven-day course, and by then, too late, you're hooked. I We had a friend of ours who was a 75-year-old woman went in for hip surgery, and uh she got hooked on it, on OxyContin. She ended up having to go to a rehab to get off of it after her. But that's how how they kept saying this is not addictive and so they were passing it out like candy because especially because it was not addictive they were passing it out to people who were not in severe pain just people with chronic pain so that's kind of how it started and it spread like wildfire so that was you know early late 90s early 2000s it was growing and growing and growing and growing and then People started to catch on, like, wait a minute, this is really very addictive. And they started telling doctors back off. This can only be used for things that are very serious in nature, like cancer type of but then by then it was too late. It had really, really spread through um largely the rural commun- communities. And because it was so um highly addictive, there this thing called known now known as pill mills started uh popping up, and these were um pharmacists pharmacies uh some doctors who would just prescribe prescribe um, an overabundance, especially in rural areas like Kentucky and Ohio. they got hit very hard
0: why the rural
3: areas i don't if know you had specifically to just guess. why the rural areas why um why it was so prevalent I think that they have a lot of jobs that are, that would get like chronic people, people who had chronic pain, like minors, um, mm-hmm. more blue collar, blue collar, laborers, men, you know, people who did that, you know, they were using this, they, they may have been in, a am a chronic pain, uh, patient. I see a doctor for chronic pain. I never took OxyContin, thank God, but it certainly was offered to me. I never took it, but, um, but it's just, it's people who have that that pain and and apparently when you take it it's like you're totally painless so it it you know offers you a something maybe you haven't experienced in a long time like a euphoria free yes being pain free and just being able mm-hmm. to move and and I'm sure that there would be a euphoria attached to it as well and um, then these pill mills started popping up. These pharmacies who were just like, "Hey, just I'll give you, you know, three hundred pills." And the the government started um, cluing into this when the number of pills in some of these counties, particularly Kentucky and Ohio, when the number of pills was outpacing the number of residents. So, say if a town had. Uh, two or three thousand residents in it but a hundred thousand pills were going out <laughs> oxygons and they the DEA started cluing in uh something's going on right so they did a big crackdown and um I was looking at the DEA website as a matter of fact and it and it showed back in like 2005 started in 1999 there was about under all opioid deaths about under 2000 And those are mostly what we would consider like the old time addicts, like junkies, you know, people shooting up heroin and stuff like that. And it starts to exponentially increase, um, especially when you hit 2013. That was kind of the beginning of the real upswing in this country. In 2013, if you look at this bar graph, you will see um, almost like a flat line of steady a number of opioid deaths, including heroin and any other type of opioid, um, that's usually like methadone or something like that. Um, you see it kind of like a flat line until 2013. And then it just goes up and up and up and up and up. And so, um, just as an example to see where we are now, um, last year, 107,000 people died in this country just from opioid and synthetic opioid, which is fentanyl. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. Um, and we're going to get into fentanyl. We are yes. going to get into the fentanyl yeah. thing. But that's how it started. And this is also, so at the same time where I said it's a two-pronged pro- problem, starting with the OxyContin and Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, it, this is also a continuation of the opium wars, which was, which is a, very long, fraught history of something that started happening in China, where um, one country was sending, um, importing by ship, opium into China. And they got uh, their, their laborers, even though the Chinese didn't want it, their laborers got hooked on it because it was being shipped over in these, in these ships, like the British uh, East India Company stuff like that. They were sending opium over. So now there's a payback. (laughs) They, they got hooked. They ended up, the Chinese got hooked. They ended up, you know, kicking the, kicking that out of their country and dealing with kind of like the aftermath. But this has been going on since the 1700s. That is a very fascinating topic. Um, the rise of opium dens, you know, in, um, the near East, and in um, Great Britain, during the time, so it's a two-prong, very long, several hundred-year problem. Um, but now it's reached a level that we haven't seen in in centuries.
0: So we were talking about the. So recently, I became involved with a nonprofit called Fronting Life, mm-hmm. and there are some startling. Mind-blowing, incredibly scary statistics for Wilmington. Yes. So, little old Wilmington Wilmington. has the highest, one of the highest rates of opioid addiction in the nation. Yes. If you took Live Oak Pavilion and you crammed everybody in there twice, that's how many addicts are living in Wilmington. Yes. Right now. That has to be probably one of the most terrifying <laughs> uh, aspects of this whole conversation. Yeah. And I'm wondering, and I'm going off the topic, but but that speaks to the next question. The nature of the crisis now. Where are we? Right. Where are we with, and we're just going to, with fentanyl. We're, we're past
3: Oxycontin at this point, right? Right. We're on to it more. Right. Because the Sacklers got sued. Oh. And it was several hundred million dollar lawsuits, different states. They got sued. This one family and their company got sued by several states. Like the state of Kentucky, the state of Ohio went against them and got a judgment against them. For not disclosing how addictive. For lying. And it was supposed to, this money that the Sacklers paid back was supposed to um, help the communities it was supposed to help kind of restore the communities and and help you know addicts and all people who have been affected by it but you know these like like trying to fix the problem with the money that they won and i don't know that it really has been fixed the, the punishment certainly wasn't as harsh as it needed to be because this was intentional they knew that it was addictive so well i mean does that i mean
0: think about big pharma Tobacco does yeah. it surprise exactly. you? Not really. That it's intentional. So the what is going on today with so fentanyl is a so tell me about fentanyl because I don't know much about it except for it has the power to kill you now.
2: Yes, a very
3: small amount. Fentanyl. Amount. Fentanyl. Okay. A very small amount. Okay. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It is. Um, I think um it's produced 50. legally though is it produced legally it or? is it is produced legally to be used by oncologists for cancer patients in stage yeah. know my, my, my mother yes. had fentanyl in stage. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and they use it it's a for very very effective uh surgical drug for like you know very you know doctors can administer it yeah so okay. that is a real thing but what's out there now, what is on the street, you know, there's like there's a prescription of fentanyl that you can get or that doctors can use, you know, for medi- medicating, and there there's illicit fentanyl. So these are two different things. Like tell me so, about illicit fentanyl. Illicit fentanyl is still a synthetic opioid and um the base product is shipped over from China. And here we go. This is important. The Opium Wars, continuation of the Opium Wars. uh, It is, um, the base product is shipped over to, down to Mexico. So China. China. Is shipping it. Ships it it to Mexico. To Mexico. To the cartels. Specifically to the cartels in Mexico. And they produce pills. They, however it is, they have seen it produced before and, and, it is in, like, big giant vats. So if you were to picture, and you see these men, these you see these cartel um, low-level, you know, drug guys. If you picture, like, a wine vat, where somebody would be stamping the grapes with their feet. Mm-hmm. When I When I'm talking vats, like big vats, they stir it with a big stick, and they mix it together, and they're able to... Harden it, produce it, solidify, and press it into pills and powders and whatever form they just happen to be producing. So, so from Mexico. From Mexico. how it gets it, carried.
0: It just comes right on into our country. It comes right
3: on through to the border. Now, this is not a political... There is a political piece right here um, because it can't be helped. It is what it is. And I will tell you, so... This is just a little side, a sideways thing. When President Trump um, got into office, one of the first things that you know he ran on was shutting down the border. And one of the main reasons that he talked about was to stop the flow of illegal drugs. Now, because everybody was freak, freaking out and rightly so in 2016, one of the other things that he did was um he put a crackdown on the amount of opioids uh, that pharmacies could dispense, doctors could prescribe, which was hell because I am a pain patient. I have a rare um, neurological pain disease, a disease that causes me to experience pain ten times more than the average person um and it's rare, they don't know what causes it, but so I have this, I have a chronic pain disease, and I see a pain specialist, see a pain management specialist I have since 2014, I think. Um, And so I'd always gotten adequate medication to make me functional, because if not, I would be disabled. I would technically qualify for disability because what I have is known as a suicide disease. Kills, people just kill themselves, right? So, um, and so when Trump made that decision to do that, we thought, good, because so many people were dying from OxyContin and heroin. The the one thing that I skipped over earlier was after the, um, after the, the DEA started finding this thing out and shutting down the pill mills, what, what happened was it left a bunch of addicts, a bunch of people who in many cases through no fault of their own, were completely and totally addicted. So what recourse did they have? None. None. No recourse except to start buying heroin off the streets because heroin is very, very cheap. Um, and what talk... So, what, so we're talking about people that went in for knee surgery, back yep. surgery, seniors. Yep. Workplace injuries, seniors, cancer. Right. I mean, all of these people who all of a sudden had this horrible addiction and when when you withdraw from opioids it that itself causes pain it is an excruciating pain where you feel like you want to die which is why it's so hard for heroin addicts to come off of the you know not only are they vomiting and have diarrhea and they feel you know feel terrible like they're having the worst flu of their lives they are also feeling an excruciating pain as that drug works its way out of the system so all of these people were stuck in that situation well i'm going to basically jump off a bridge or i'm going to buy heroin off the street because the pain is so bad so heroin's value just shot sky high so heroin's heroin's value shot sky high then then all of these ex-oxycontin patients all became addicted to heroin and then people started dropping dead i saved a guy myself in the staples parking lot uh during this whole crisis um because i noticed that 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 dude doesn't look right and uh i found a police officer in the store and i and i said hey (laughs) and i felt like do i Like I, I knocked on the window and tried to wake him up and he wouldn't wake up. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's dead. And then I got afraid, like, I don't, but maybe he's just like a heavy sleeper, you know? And then you go through this whole thing. Finally, I walked in the store and there just happened to be an officer in the store. And I said, Hey, I may be like totally out of my mind, but something doesn't look right with this man. And the way his car is parked also doesn't look right to me. Can you go check on him? Sure enough. He went out and checked on him while I stayed by my car. And the cop came over and said, you were right. Like, you saved his life. He's breathing now. But he almost wasn't. You know, so back to the Trump thing. So when Trump put this crack down, what happened was he cracked down. Now, and by this time, most of us had known, especially uh, people who are chronic pain patients. Um,
2: that have, we that knew that, are, that, have that programs. real...
3: The one, I have to get drug tested every month when I go. Like, I have to go get a drug test, you know, to to make sure that I'm taking my medication as dispensed. I will have to show my doctor my medication bottles if he asks for it. That shows, you know, so he makes sure that my number of pills matches the amount uh, that's prescribed and so that I'm not, like, selling them, you know, to anybody. Whatever. Like, there's lots of reasons for it, right? So I follow all these rules. But what happened when, when Trump did that, he They also ugh, put this horrible thing in where they told the doctors, and if somebody takes one of your patients, dies because you have prescribed them opioids, we're going to charge you with murder. This was very shortly after um, the 2016 election. I think this happened in 2017. Well, then all the doctors went... Oh, hell! no! <laughs> this is not worth the risk, so they start dumping patients. They start dumping their patients yeah. like crazy. My doctor was like, "Dude, I'm like I'm out, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you know he said, "I will keep only a few patients, and I'm going to cut you way, 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 way back um but I'll keep you because I trust you you've always never failed a drug test, and you do not abuse your medication he said but but People do abuse their medication. I'm not going to be charged for murder. I'm not going to jail. And it it started to happen. And so that was horrible. And very, very, very few people were talking about it. Only one or two journalists were talking about it um, at all. And then what started happening is the chronic pain patients started to kill themselves. So this has been a mess. Like, this has been a mess. Because if, if you are a chronic pain patient, then all of a sudden you lose your medication. You're, you are jumping off a bridge. You are shooting yourself. So, it is a mess, you know. And, it, and it's not because you're addicted. It's because you cannot, you're not functional, you know.
0: Right. You can't have the amount of medication needed to make your life functional. Yes. Or even be able to walk right. without being disabled. And then the doctors are so afraid they're going to get sued because yep. if you die, it, yes. So nothing about that makes.
3: But the, it, where are these the people were dying, these people were dying of fentanyl. These people were dying. This whole thing that started it. I mean, I uh, totally applauded uh, Trump's um, move to shut down the border to stop these drugs from coming through. I there were some policies of his I did not agree. I completely agreed with that policy. Shut shut it down because it is coming up through the mules and it's ending up on the streets and people are dying. But the doctors got rolled into it and but not the illicit dealers, right?
0: <laughs> well, and let so and that is another topic that when you were telling me about the illicit dealers and how kids kids yeah Kids who can get a hold of Absolutely. drugs through, was it Snapchat and Cash
3: App? Or you can have it
0: delivered Snapchat to your door?
3: Yes, you can have it delivered to your door. But let's take a real st- a quick step back okay. first because you need to know how dangerous fentanyl is. Yes. So it is about uh, 50 times more potent than heroin and 100 times more potent than morphine. Now think about that. A hundred times. It's, more it's hard to
0: even wrap your head
3: around those numbers. It is. It is very hard. And one one thing that you can do if you're interested in to wrap your head around it is to just go and Google um cop because this happened several years ago too. Just Google like cop um drops. I'm gonna Google it right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cop drops um due to fentanyl poisoning what the other thing that started happening was um and the police started filming this that this drug is so deadly that what happened was uh, police officers were making traffic stops and you know they may suspect uh, suspect somebody of dealing drugs or and stuff like that what what started happening is they would do a car search this person the suspect would have powdered fentanyl in their car the cop would open like the trunk the the grains almost like fumes it it takes only a couple grains of some of this fentanyl to kill you this is
0: 10 to 15 grains it's like table salt yes is considered a lethal dose
3: yes 10 to 15 grains of like salt sized grains can kill you that's how dang- That's how deadly it is. That's how dangerous it is. And what's happening now, is that these drug dealers for the past several years have been um, have been marketing, so to speak, this fentanyl that's being brought up by the cartels. And one of the main ways they do that is by creating, um, things called kill pills. Now people can take fentanyl. Even addicts can take. Fentanyl, you, you, and drug dealers will teach you how to take it. Apparently, it gives you an amazing high. Because you build, so drug addicts build up a reserve. They build up a tolerance. The tolerance, They build up a tolerance um, for it. Their bodies, you know, are used to it. Their bodies can get used to it. And taking in minuscule doses, you can kind of get a little bit. Um, and so the dealers started marketing these things called kill pills and they would be like a pill or two in a bottle um, and mind you, all sorts of pills you know that people were buying but but so say you were you know getting uh, it added to a vicodin or or um, oxycodone, you know a pill like that. You know, maybe one or two pills in your bottle or in your baggie would be a kill pill. And you take it and you die. Well, that's great marketing. Because what the, what the junkie wants, you know, the true person who's trying to get high on this high. They want the highest high, the purest high they can get. So, when they hear that somebody that a certain dealer is uh somebody dropped dead because of fentanyl or one of their products, that's who they go to.
0: Okay, that <laughs> makes twisted. no twisted, it's it, totally. that makes that, that makes no sense, but it's completely ha, but twisted. I think what scared me the most is when you were talking about this dose goes into other
3: medications, so it yep, so, goes into oxy's. Um, uh, goes into adderall adderall goes into xanax any kind of benzo they can press it into anything
0: so why are these d so okay so let's go back to how does this process work a child a college kid a high school kid how does this work because this totally amazed me like, what do you yeah. mean, they can just go on
3: Snapchat and get drugs delivered yes. to their door? One of my children was showing me, was showing me this years ago. Now, now, now in hindsight, I understand. This is this is a different topic. But now, in hindsight, I understand. They were trying to show me what they deal with every day in their social media as far as drugs. I mean, it's one thing for a parent to say, the, you know, don't do drugs. Don't take a, a pill from your friend. Don't, you know be tempted, Um, don't hang around with those type of people, you know, things like that. And my child was saying, look at what I see on my social media. And sure enough, they showed me just pictures, pictures of drugs of all kinds. And I mean like bowls filled with pills available that people they knew were selling, people that they knew. They were like, this is stuff that comes through my right. social media account, through my Instagram but account. It's not safe. Through my Snapchat. I mean there's Snapchat, no there's no safety just because you know them. Well, right, right. But for a while it was slightly safe. It's only been in the last couple of years that the cartels have been putting fentanyl in other things, right? So you could buy a, you could buy fentanyl in a powder or pill form. But your Xanax, the the synthetic Xanax that they make, um, that was that was just Xanax. Those those were just benzos, or the oxys were just oxys. There was nothing added to it. Right. Several years ago, this was only a couple years ago. There, you could get that Adderall easy. You know, just like you can get any kind of drug. Those were not. There those was are, not fentanyl okay, added like, to it a couple years ago. Adderall is
0: what class three schedule in our car i can't remember i don't anything. even know
3: okay. i don't even know what it is um but anything the they guy? weren't they, it just wasn't in it so it's only been in the last couple of years where now the cartels are adding and oftentimes without letting people know they're adding fentanyl to those drugs as well they're just mixing it in and to what kill, is to
0: kill though what i mean the purpose, yeah, of The
3: purpose kill, of this yes. synthetic is to kill. To
0: kill, and yeah, because you're not. So you're not getting that high if you're not an addict. You're crossing into a line of you are. You have a high chance of dying.
3: Right, and most of the most of them, you do have a high chance of dying because most of these guys are just dumb drug guys in the cartels who are just. They don't care what they mix up. They're not measuring you know stuff out but the ones who are chemists they'll just add a little bit they'll just add a little bit to your pill so you'll get hooked on it you'll want the high not everything is a kill pill right obviously because you're then you you would never you know you'd kill off your customer you wouldn't have any customers right so (laughs) right so you just market
0: your kill pills to your season
3: a kill pill is only just kind of thrown in there is only kind of thrown in the batch you know in mostly in street dealer stuff and it's very random what's happening now is that these kids can go on snapchat and they can buy one pill one xanax say um or an adderall take adderall take that like you're studying late for exams you need to focus uh so you decide, well, I'm just going to do this to pass my biology exam. I'm just going to take one one Adderall. No big deal. A couple of years ago, you could do that fine and dandy. You could just buy that one pill, no problem. Now, you don't know because these cartels are intentionally lacing fentanyl in either to hook, in most cases, to hook you. Um, they're not but trying but if to kill, you're kill you. Not, they're not cases. trying, in most cases, to kill you. But be bad for business. Yes, be bad for business. But you know, if you don't have a lot of drug usage experience and your body has no tolerance to opioids and there's a little bit of fentanyl in there that supposedly is going to make you just a little bit high, it will just make you a little bit dead. And that's What's been happening to people when you hear stories of children wake you know, parents walking in and their kids dead at their desk or they're dead in their bed? I mean, it happens all the time.
0: Were you? Are you the one that told me about the girl who was studying who took Adderall? Was it? And yep. then she took just a a, a, quarter, a yes. a quarter of
3: a tablet. That was probably a kill pill. But either, either way, her body had never had fentanyl before, and so it just outright killed her. She could took a quarter. Of one tablet, of one small tablet. It says 100, I'm just looking, 150 people
0: die every day. Yes. From fentanyl. Well, let's go to our next question. Mm -hmm. Why haven't (laughs) our leaders done anything about this? If we know it's coming from China, if there's a path, it's coming from China, it's going to the cartels it's crossing our borders openly freely yep why why can we what why is this being put like you said it's pandemic it's a pandemic yeah so why isn't it being talked about shouted from the rooftops why isn't there more aggressive measures
3: to stop it if it's killing our kids why? I'm just... Uh, Very few people care about it because a lot of people think it will never happen to them. Mm. Um, the vast majority of people think it will never happen to them, that their family will never be affected. But I can guarantee that almost every teenager or young adult has somebody in their life who has, you know, whether it's a friend or a friend of a friend who is dropped dead, from this thing. They they know stories. They are inundated with this stuff. The reason why our leaders haven't done anything about it is a political thing. At they don't they don't care largely. There's a there's a handful of senators who are making big noises about it um in Congress and nothing gets done because it's not profitable. I mean, keeping the border open has more political capital than worrying, you know, in for however long this open border thing is happening. However long this is supposed to go on, um the benefit to them by having an open border and just letting these millions of people in is more important than the 100,000 that die every year unless it's uh liitor's child exactly or, or a celebrity's child, and that celebrity decides to make noise, and how many we have seen so many celebrities children, whether they be you know teenagers, young adults, die of this, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't it's the the political capital to keep that border open is of more value to them in whatever it is they're trying to gain than losing a hundred thousand Americans is. that's why. Well, and I was thinking about what you said
0: too. Um there I don't think I know of anyone that hasn't been touched not in a in a very negative way. So, from you either know an addict, you know someone that committed suicide unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know uh someone in your I mean, it's I was standing behind someone buying bread at this bakery that just opened in Wilmington and we struck up a conversation and his son has been an addict for 28 years. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, we're not doing something right. Yeah. Totally different subject. They're probably different podcast. We're not doing something right. If you're, if we can not stop one, the drugs coming in to this country, if it is that, Clear of a path, I don't think even one child dying should raise alarm bells from just one child just from taking that little tiny amount i I'm horrified that it's in our communities as much as it is, especially our community yeah and I'm so here's our next question it almost seems like there isn't a solution to this problem but I think you and I know better than that right what how can we help how can we help one our families our children our communities I don't believe it's probably it may not be at a national level but you and I have done some really awesome stuff at a local level and I think that's where it's gonna have it's gonna have to be a grassroots
3: it's gonna to have to be absolutely, like everything else right now, I mean whether that's crime or or whatever i mean it it's definitely going to be well we're we're losing a lot of things you know in this country, but it's just like these school board meetings and stuff this it's parents standing up and fighting back. And saying, no more, we're not going to do this anymore. Uh, number one is, you know, we start by educating ourselves. By understanding that that um, these are poisonings. These aren't... These are murders. Technically, right. I mean, this is these more, are poisonings. Yeah. They're not even... They are overdoses. But technically, they're considered poisonings. And in fact, if you look at even the DEA, they classify these deaths as as overdose deaths and poisonings. So we're like in a whole different situation than we've been through. We haven't had anything um like considered a poisoning and I'm going to show you I took some pictures um some of the things that the DE, that the DEA is. And this is the okay. dea.gov site, okay. right? Here's a quote um about fentanyl awareness. It says fentanyl is the single deadliest drug threat our nation has ever encountered. Right. It's also a national security issue right now because of the open border, uh, said administrator Anne Milgram fentanyl is everywhere from large metropolitan areas to rural America. No community is safe from this poison. We must take every opportunity To spread the word to prevent fentanyl-related overdose, death, and poisonings from claiming scores of American lives every day. They actually have like a museum called Faces of Fentanyl down at the the DEA headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, where you can post a picture of your loved one um, and have it put on the wall of this museum. This... I remember in the eighties doing this for people with the AIDS quilt. If you remember, I don't know if you were touched by AIDS, but my family certainly was. And I remember we made quilt squares and took them down. Uh, And this is kind of like that, you know, for the people, all the people who had died in in these, this quilt, this AIDS Memorial quilt traveled around the country multiple for many, 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 many years. And it was huge and enormous. I mean, they would spread it out on the the National Mall and you would have like large program books. That's how many people were dying of AIDS. This is kind of, this is what, what this reminds me of, you know. So now I've seen that the DEA has their own kind of like faces. You can put like your loved one's face up on a wall of this building in D.C. How horrible is that? Like how horrific is that? But if we had something like the AIDS quilt, something that toured around the country and brought attention to this so that people could see how freaking big this problem is, that would be amazing. But I digress. I am just wondering, (laughs) Erica, if we can, if we can suppress
0: information, if big companies like Google and Facebook. Mm-hmm. can suppress information, why can they not suppress TikTok, Snapchat?
3: It's too popular. I mean, the, the government has been... Trump tried to shut TikTok down, too. That didn't work. <laughs> now they're trying to shut it down again. There's more talks on TikTok. They can't do it. That's what I'm saying. It's more... You know, it's big business. You don't want to harm business. Like... Well, I mean... we're but, the
0: so are we prosecuting these people are we prosecuting the people who deliver these drugs no, as ordered why no 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 no. What, no is that a stupid question no that's a
3: stupid question kim oh
0: god okay <laughs> no I and mean, i'm going to give you an example if it's
3: considered murder i'll give you an example why are we not going after the people that sell these pills uh, 10 days ago 2 weeks ago uh dude in New York City got busted mind you there's enough fentanyl pills in this country to kill every single adult every single man woman and child in the entire United States say it's that already again in the country say that there again. is enough fentanyl pills in this country you can just also google that you can watch the the homeland security uh, the the border patrol see how many pills they're catching at the border we've god knows only how much they are not catching at the border um there's a guy in new york city 10 days ago two weeks ago he got arrested with 40 thousand um fentanyl pills right so that's enough to kill at least 40,000 people and the judge walked let him walk the judge let him walk the police and the attorney said this guy needs to be put in jail and prosecuted and the prosecutor for both sides, they came and everybody said, yes, prosecute this guy. And the judge overruled that and let the dude off with no bail. Well, this, okay. So this is going to so really smack about conspiracy, <laughs> but the heat, come on.
0: That had to be some kind of influence from like a threatening, a cartel, like, no. How, how does a judge stay in no business bail laws. of
3: being in judge? They don't care. That's what I'm saying. They don't care. They didn't want to harm the dealer, the poor dealer, the poor by making him pay a bail. How so about no let him, bail? Let him walk. He should have been. He should have been held with with no bail at all or at least give him a bail all right at least don't get Nope, didn't just let him off said just return to court whatever and whatever your court date is
0: yeah sure he's going to come odds. back <laughs> he's going to go back so we we have we have 4 minutes yeah. before we have to stop this conversation
3: okay. i'm going to tell the, I'm going to tell the people where to go yeah well
0: and I, i'm going to so if you will it's... i'm going to put links in this i okay. figured out how to put links in the podcast but i think that's great one is education like you telling me education this this issue it has
3: to be word of mouth but yes yeah, so let's right let's, four minutes here's a great website facing fentanyl now.org they have so much information they have like letters the first page is letter to sign the letter to president biden like They they have got, it's about national, um, fentanyl prevention, awareness, all sorts of stuff on there that will give you so much. uh, I'm sure they're really, uh, interactive too on social media. There's also a lot of, I'm not on Facebook, but there are also a lot of Facebook groups that people can go to, um, where you can like connect and hear stories of people who have lost people, you know, people maybe in your town who are trying to to do something regarding fentanyl. I know there's lots of Facebook groups out there because I hear about them all the time. I'm just on on Facebook. We so just need one we need them to unite because sometimes you can get so
0: separated or fractioned yeah. that you can't um you can't be effective. Like there, because then there's so many, how do you know which group like if they connect, right. if they connected somehow, I think that's where the power can be. But this conversation, I hope Everyone listens to this, especially if you're like me, <laughs> and was so clueless. I was just floored.
3: Yeah, it's when scary. you told me it
0: is scary, I called my boys right away. I'm like, "Don't you yeah. ever?" It can be delivered. Ever think about
3: it. It can be delivered to your child's door just like Uber Eats. Same mechanism using social media. Like that's how dangerous it is. You have to alert. Your children, tell them, even your adult children, do not take any pills from anybody at any time. Like, got to talk about it. I think that's a conversation
0: that we're having now is, Mm -hmm. is we have to open that door as difficult as it is. As far-fetching, because, of course, I think parents are like, oh, my child wouldn't do that. right? But my child might, buy Adderall, if they had a huge exam to study for and not think a thing about it. Yeah. And that's what right. is so scary is no one, I don't think anyone's safe. No. And that's something that we, we need to discuss. Yep. Um, we're going to wrap it up. I think we've got, Sounds I, I, I want to continue this. I know <laughs> Erica's super busy. She has, uh, she's full time with her family. Mm-hmm. And she's getting ready to go on vacation with her family. So, I'd like to maybe schedule a time for us to, we got to explore, like, how this is affecting people. Yeah. You know, how does it, no one's safe, no one's untouched from this. How does it destroy families? Um, how does it destroy communities? Right. How does it trickle down and spread out? Because, And I think that's something for us, too. And how do you survive it? Because I think you have a how-to story. Might do. Yeah. and (laughs) (laughs) And we don't have enough time. Well, you know, I think we, for some reason or other, we're chosen. Right. We don't know why we're chosen to go through the things that we are. But when we come out on the other side of it, then there might be a parent that said, oh, you too? Yeah, right. I thought I was the only one. What can I do? How can I keep? My child safe, so your how to might actually save a child's right. life.
3: Yeah,
0: well, and if it did, we'll talk. And it's a you know, know, then it's a conversation. And um, I think one, it, it's just saving one child at a time, right. one person at a time. Yeah, agreed. Well, <laughs> it's been wonderful. Uh, I think we could talk forever. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Sure. We'll, get, we'll hit back with you after your vacation. Yeah, sounds good. Guys, thank you for listening. Um, I'm going to put some links in that Erica talked about for the DEA for what was the one organization? FacingFentanylNow.org. FacingFentanyl.org. And let's just, let's spread the word about this. Mm-hmm. All right, until next time. Um, Thank you for tuning in and we will see each other on the other side. Bye.